0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Post Credits. My name is Brian Shelf, and with me is my co host,
1: Matt Pepler.
0: How are you doing, Matt? I'm good. Good. Uh It's been a pretty good day. So
1: I I'm, I'm happy to be here. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. It's it's always fun having these discussions and getting into it and uh today I I think we got a a good one. And I'm I'm not just going to give you my two cents. I'll I'll give you I'll give you my $2 worth because <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about $2. We're talking about the 1980s cult classic Better Off Dead, starring a young John Cusack. And Amanda and Weiss. Directed
1: by uh, yep, Amanda Weiss. I forgot she was in it. Uh, and that's uh Tina from uh A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. Uh directed by Savage Steve Holland. You know how he got his nickname, Savage Steve? I don't. He kicked a kid in the teeth during a soccer game. <laughs> It's pretty savage. It is pretty savage. And you know what? I've been on the um I've been on the end of getting kicked in the teeth in a soccer game. Uh, and that's how I have that crease in my shin. I've oh. been kicked in the teeth. So that's not very fun. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it is savage. Um I found out that this movie is like kind of autobiographical. Uh, and as a teenager, Savage Steve Holland. Uh, had to deal with his girlfriend dumping him, and uh um, he became suicidal, <laughs> yeah, because of it uh and he had a bunch of like different family experiences as well, so he kind of put all of them into a movie yeah uh, it's which became better off that it's so surreal
0: though that I feel that the autobiographical aspect is just kind of a jumping off point. Right. But at the same time, you know, this kind of crap is sort of what the world feels like when when you are a teenager. <laughs> Where it's just like everything's larger than life and you're kind of adulting for the first time and um everything's sort of going backwards against you.
1: Uh you recommended this movie to me. Uh or maybe we watched it together a long time ago. Um but this movie is a fucking gem and it's uh, it's surprising that it's not put up there with like a bunch of other, other eighties movies, like 16 candles or uh Ferris Bueller's day off. It's very, it's so good. And there's so many like running gags throughout the whole movie that I find very funny. So I guess like, how did you find out about this movie? Because it is hard to find. And speaking of hard to find, I swear to God, this movie was on a streaming service um, like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, oh, that's great. And we didn't even discuss about or discuss this movie being on this podcast. But uh, I, you know, I was like, oh, great. I can see this movie again. I haven't seen it in forever. It's gone. It's like in the ether, right? Like you can't, it's not on any streaming service. Uh, you can't even watch it on like a prime rental it wasn't on voodoo i searched my roku device like you can't even buy a digital right it's gone uh so it's kind of i feel like it's going to be one of those movies that goes into it's going to go further into obscurity uh so how did you find out about this movie Uh,
0: well i didn't have cable growing up because my we were that house where uh my my parents just didn't have cable. So everybody else had cable. Everybody else had like the newest game systems. And it was like, no, that that Nintendo, that's your Nintendo. So couldn't have that. Couldn't have cable. And cable is stupid expensive. So, it, you know, I see my parents point on that. But uh, uh, freshman year of college, it, we had cable. All the dorms had cable. It was just, you know, it wasn't something you paid for or opted into. It was just, you know, part of being in the dorms and uh it, it was on comedy central for like an entire month multiple times a day so i i would come back from class and turn on the tv and uh i i was a john cusack fan from gross point blank um
1: yes you know it was
0: just kind of a romantic comedy with a you know a little bit of a darker edge kind of this is me breathing yeah um kind of a hitman goes back to high school thing. so I, I thought John Cusack was cool from that because um, I had seen that at the movie theater that I worked at so that, that that's one of the few cool movie posters that I actually got to take because normally they just throw them out afterwards and um, I, I wound up with a bunch of crummy movie posters like uh, Anaconda and <laughs> um, <laughs> Legally Blonde and things like that and it's like oh that's a movie poster don't throw that out um, I wound up just like selling them most of them for a dollar at a garage sale, you know, some years later, but blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so it was on uh, Comedy Central and and I would come back from class and I I would just, you know, have like five minutes and I would see part of it. And then I turn it back on and it's like, oh, there's another John Cusack movie on (laughs) because it's like all the scenes are so different, you know, because it's like a, a ski movie and then a high school movie and then, you know. And then the paperboy is chasing him. And, you know, finally, I put it all together. It's like, no, this is one movie. So just over the course of that month, I, I realized that, you know, that movie was on. So I made a point to actually sit down and watch it in its entirety. And I just thought it was great.
1: Yeah, this is uh, the first time I saw it. I, I loved it. Uh, um, so this movie is about uh, John Cusack. And uh, he gets dumped uh, by his girlfriend, who he, he is obsessed with. Obsessed. and cest yeah i mean they couldn't
0: even portray that today because he's got kind of like the stalker photos yes.
1: of her everywhere okay everywhere you know in movies like especially in the 80s they would have like their girl girls rooms like their bedrooms would have like their idol wall right where it was like all the you know, teenage stars of the 80s were just, like, taped up to a wall, like Mm -hmm. cutouts and stuff. This is what John Cusack's character has done, but with his girlfriend. So it's only pictures of his girlfriend taped up to his wall, taped up everywhere. You go into... He goes into his closet to grab his clothes and taped to all of his hangers are, like, pictures of his girlfriend's head. (laughs) It's like... It's just amazing.
0: Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah, I, I feel then, like between that and all the suicide jokes that you'd, you'd never get this movie made today. No. No. <laughs> because Cause it, it's never saying, like, suicide is funny. It's just that the topic is so, uh, you know, he he's always about to do something, and then he's like, no, wait a minute, this is wrong. And then someone pushes him into it, and then he has to save himself. That, right. that's the joke it's not that suicide is <laughs>
1: funny it's just but the beginning is like finding out how how he obsessed he is with his girlfriend and juxtaposed his his girlfriend talking to one of her friends over the phone saying that she's gonna dump him you know so uh it's it's pretty funny because i mean you're already getting set up for you know the downfall of uh, John Cusack's character and what he is going to go through. Right.
0: So she decides um, to wait to dump him until after his cause he's trying out for the ski team. Yep. And and she decides to wait until after that, because she doesn't want him to be totally uh devastated. Just I'll just break your heart on this three hour car ride back home. <laughs>
1: right. Man, I'll tell you what, it is the worst to have like to find out some girl isn't interested in you, but you still have to be around them for hours before you can like get the fuck out of there. No. You know, uh the
0: um has that happened to you where you didn't have an escape? Oh, yeah, hatch? there's
1: been I've been through like uncomfortable situations where it's like uh it was wrong timing to either like break up, you don't want to see them because I've been in like a specific situation where it was like, I was hour hours, uh, like a really long drive away from dropping this girl off. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, this was not going to work out, but now it's like, you have an uncomfortable car ride back, you know, not like, it's just like, maybe do this <laughs> I'm dropping you off so we can both just be like okay that's fine let's get out of here mm-hmm. uh but to to have something happen and then still be put in a situation where you have to uncomfortably be civil to someone that's kind of kind of awful i've experienced it yeah uh,
0: yeah i i've been fortunate i guess in that uh you know most of the blow-ups happen and you know there, there's usually a, an escape hatch nearby and uh, yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> right. take my Doctor Evil egg into the stratosphere. Um, I, I probably the only bad one was um, a, an ex girlfriend wound up in one of my classes in college, and, Wait, um, and and I didn't even know she was going to that school. <laughs> and then we were okay. in the lunch line together
1: inadvertently the one day. So was it you that dated someone that like pierced their face a whole bunch of times? Like after you had stopped seeing him. Didn't you say something like "It looks like you jumped into an exploding jewelry box" or something?
0: Oh, that sounds like something I would say. Yeah, yeah, that yeah that happened. Um, I, I vaguely remember this now. Okay. You know how, how have you been? Oh, fine. What about you? It looks like you fell into an exploding jewelry box. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it was just a knee jerk reaction, and um, so. Yeah. Um, but so were there a lot of ski movies in the 80s? Because like it's always sunny in Philadelphia did an episode like like that was a trope. But, but this oh, is, yeah, this is the only high school ski movie that
1: I've. So it was. Yeah, there's like Ski Patrol and um, there is a couple others that were like ski movies. And I think there were like some. Like uh, winter sports movies as well. I do remember Ski Patrol a lot. My sister and I watched that a lot. Uh, It was like a quirky, silly comedy, but it was fun. Yeah, I mean, I remember a lot. I can't, like, now I can't remember specific names of movies, but I remember, like, skiing being a big thing, you know. Uh, But it is it is weird uh, because where they, like, the town that they are all in is, like, this nice warm area. And then instantaneously, like they're in Utah. <laughs> I yeah, think so. I, I think it's supposed
0: to be um like Southern California, kind of the edge there. Yeah. Um, and, and it was kind of a rich kid sport. I mean, it is kind of a rich kid sport. No, You know, we live in Michigan where uh, snowmen uh, roam the streets um, year round right. because winter is the best eight months out of the year. And uh, skiing is still kind of a rich kid sport.
1: Oh, it's very expensive. I mean, even now, like, um, ticket prices for, like, a lift are just ridiculous. Uh, When I was – because I skied and snowboarded for a really long time, and um, I remember, like, the last year that I went snowboarding, it was, like, $55 for one day of snowboarding, which is a lot, man. Like, you add that up, and I remember one one year I went like I went snowboarding maybe like a hundred times, Wow, um I ended up, but I was like I knew I was gonna get really into it though, and I checked at um Cabrafe Peaks and uh like Crystal Mountain, and they had these like really bizarre deals where it's like you ordered a season pass or bought a season pass and like pass in like August it was like $120, right? Uh but that included day passes for everything including holidays. So that's what I did. Uh so I spent like $300 total and was able to ski and snowboard like anytime I wanted. Uh but you know, if you just went for 4 days, like you would already be spending more than what it cost me, you mm-hmm. know, for the season passes. Yeah. So so you, so you really made use of it. Yeah, I did. You know, um but it's very expensive. Uh, it's totally. A, I mean, even if you buy your own equipment, like you're still at least, you know, to buy anything decent, you're at like a thousand dollar investment, you know? Yeah. Uh,
0: H- hockey was pretty much the same way with, with, with skates and pads and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, n- I never did
1: skiing, but I played hockey. Yeah. I, I, I like snowboarding so much better than skiing. But man, it hurts more because in skiing, here's the thing in skiing everything's meant to like, if you fall and do like a yard sale, everything's supposed to just like be able to fall off you, right? (laughs) You know, it's like your skis are going to like unclip themselves so you're not breaking ankles and shit, right? On a snowboard, like you're locked in and if you mess up, you're going to go where the snowboard's going to go, you know, (laughs) and uh, breaking your wrist and breaking your tailbone is a pretty common reality, snowboarding. Well, that so.
0: certainly happens to Lane quite a bit doing the yard sale, um, because he he has that pretty amazing tryout where he's really good, and he only doesn't make the cut because the douchebag captain stops it. Like he waits two seconds to stop it, so he doesn't, so he disqualifies. And it's just like yeah, you, right. you, know, you hate that guy so much, but then every other time they show him skiing, he's just falling. <laughs> he's absolutely horrible.
1: Uh, he is the Okay, this mountain, right, this K-12 mountain that they're supposed to, you know, go down that's so difficult, you know, that only one person has survived it, right? I don't even think it's a black diamond, you know, (laughs) like it's not, it is not a difficult uh, hill to go down, but for some reason, Wayne just can't get it right, which I find very funny. Uh, he's supposed to be this great skier but can't even get down this small hill and like even at the end of the movie when they're having that chase sequence that's not a that's not even close to a black diamond you know that might be like an advanced slope but not you know okay for those of you that don't know there's like the hardest difficulties on a, a ski hill is a black diamond and a double black diamond so if you're going down any one of those like you should only be going down them if you're very experienced and know exactly what you're doing. Because if you don't, like there's serious ramifications that can happen to your body. You know, uh, if you fall, like the, the incline of a black diamond is very steep, you know, almost like going down the side of a very steep mountain. You know, it's not, uh, people will go down them for fun when they're just learning. And it's about the worst thing you could possibly do uh because it's you're just putting yourself in a very dangerous situation so the the hills that john cusack's going down man it's like a sledding hill you
0: know yeah and you know i i think it's fair uh, you know that was probably just for uh realities of whatever location was best to film at and oh sure you know and they could reset and and whatnot but um I think you could also, being as goofy as the movie is, is kind of interpret that as
1: uh, part of the comedy. Oh, sure. Okay, the suicide attempts, I think, in this movie, sorry to like zigzag a little bit, I find hysterical. Well, I guess should we go into suicides or should we continue describing the movie? I kind of messed this up.
0: You know, either it it so the girlfriend dumps him and then he, um, you know, it begins uh, one of several attempts at uh, suicide
1: because right.
0: that kind of becomes his preoccupation with having nothing else to.
1: Right. And now that he time. didn't make this, uh, he didn't make the ski team because of the jackass like leader, captain guy, you know, he's kind of the, the town's biggest loser, you know, so. just
0: instantly like there's a hive mind. <laughs> Right. And and the whole town is just instantly aware. because like the word got around. That that kind of thing happens a couple of times in the movie, because um, like every, like right away everybody's asking him for advice on dating Beth, his his girlfriend. <laughs> right. um, you know, and, Even and then the mailman, the the mailman. Yep, yeah. and then um, like later on when he finally challenges the leader. I think it's Stalin, Roy Stalin, the leader of the ski team. Um, Uh, unironically named i'm sure uh he's uh the school just instantly knows about it and it's on the loudspeaker right right
1: um yeah so he tries to commit suicide uh well not tries to it's like he does it but always fails so like he's a failure in life right (laughs) because everything went wrong But he can't even, you know, off himself because something always happens. Like the the car one uh, where he was inside the garage, Uh I found very funny. Like after it was like Christmas morning, the running joke is like John Cusack's dad's garage door is always being damaged by the paper boy, you know, by throwing the uh, mail through, throwing the newspaper at the garage and it breaks a window and then he finally gets them all fixed. And that's like his present to his wife is fixing the garage. Meanwhile, John Cusack is inside the garage with the car on, on, you know, uh, trying to kill himself with carbon monoxide from the exhaust. He passes out, puts the car in reverse and flies out of the garage, like yeah. destroying the whole door.
0: <clears throat> yeah, but but the other times he he's about to do it and then he... He goes to back out of it, and then someone kind of pushes him into it because he's about to hang himself. And then he's like, "Hey, wait a minute! This is this is death here. This is final." And then his mom opens the door without looking and knocks him off the step. And so he's kind of like hanging there while she's vacuuming and totally oblivious to what's going on. And and then like later, he's he's gonna jump off a bridge, and then his buddy who tries to talk him out of it kind of pats him on the back and sends him of course, of course, sends him flying. Um Curtis Armstrong, who uh yeah I I think he's made an entire career out of playing that exact same role, like all the way from Risky Business through um Revenge of the Nerds and uh he he plays that exact same character as one of Steve Smith's friends on American Dad because right. that, because that's what Seth MacFarlane does is just pull everything out of the 80s and <laughs>
1: right. Um Apparently that actor got this job by coming, like auditioning it. And he made fun of Savage Steve Holland by saying like, who's this fat surfer or something like that. And he got hired. Uh,
0: Stalin did. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's he's like, nope,
1: close the books. This, we found our jerk. <laughs> right. Um, another funny instance that I love in this movie is the recurring, um, wide world of sports asian students Mm, yeah it's so fucking funny to see like okay so they're always pulling up next to john cusack and is busted out uh what were those cars called station wagons yeah station wagon uh that's the kind of car that john cusack is driving this nasty old station wagon these two asian students wearing like you know gold uh Uh, dress jackets keep driving up next to him and challenging to him to uh challenging john cusack to a race but the funny thing is that they have a loudspeaker on top of the car and one of them starts doing color commentary like uh oh what's oh what's his name now like a a howard cosell from uh, yes wide world of sports (laughs) right (laughs) he starts like color commentating you know, the lead up to the start of the race. And it's just so hysterical, Yeah, but it's like a running gag. And it happens a couple times throughout the movie. And I just, each time I see it, man, <laughs> it's just so fucking funny. Yeah. You know?
0: I, Cause like the first time, like he's going to race him off the starting line and he's got the car in reverse and, or something. And he, uh, winds up backing into the guy behind him instead of when he goes to Florida and it turns out to be a guy he goes to work for later in the movie because he just keeps running into this like really like kind of like two fisted older guy who's just always threatening him with violence, and of course when his dad's like, "Look, you need a job. My friend's got this business. I'll hook you up with," him. and of course it turns out to be that guy. But I I, I love the the insults <laughs> that he you know comes out with like, "Come here, Activate your dental
1: plan!" <laughs> right. Um. Another running gag. Uh, is the two dollars that happens to this movie? Two dollars, yeah. So, um, it's a paper boy, and um, John Cusack's family owes the paper boy money for delivering the papers, which is two dollars. So, it starts off like harassment at John Cusack's door, like (laughs) uh, to his home, where it's like, give you know, two dollars, you know, and throughout (laughs) the movie. Sorry, I, uh, I, I I don't have a dime. Didn't ask
0: for a dime. <laughs> Asked for two dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, my uh, my grandmother uh, dropped acid, hijacked a school bus full of penguins. It's kind of an emergency. Gotta go. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> it keeps escalating. Yeah. One of the fun the and, one and, of the I like the most is uh, John Cusack is in the car in his car, and then he hears like the footsteps. On top of his car, like he hears someone running up, like the trunk of his car to the like top of his car, and he looks up, and like it's the kid yelling two dollars. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's um, they keep portraying him like he's the the monster in a horror film, like you know, complete with the music. Like every time you see him, it's like that that jump scare sting. And uh, I, I love when he, he's um, walking home from the school dance there, how they, they all just start coming out of the mist. It's like all all these paper boys just start appearing.
1: Yeah. And then there's the famous jaw shot when he's trying to get into his car, like the zoom in and focus thing. Uh, so it makes it look like the background is like getting further away Right, while he's trying to get into his car. Yeah. Yeah. The paper boy is just such a great character um it just the escalation is so funny because it's not just you know you would just expect expect him to appear like give me the two dollars but it's like how he appears is more and more frightening and more and more aggressive
0: right yeah to the point that by the end of the movie he's like on skis on his bike chasing him down the mountain right there's some thing behind them yeah
1: Oh man, it's so good. Uh there's so many like there's a bunch of weirdness to this movie too. Another weird thing that is the um so there's a foreign exchange student which ends up becoming like John Cusack's love interest. And even though he's trying to win back his uh girlfriend, he ends up like liking this French foreign exchange student better, right? Mm-hmm. But the home that she's staying in has, like, the weirdest guy ever. Like, the person her age. Uh, like, he just creeps me out, man. Like, how he looks, what he says, it's just weird. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he... Uh,
0: so that's Ricky. He he does a really good job of being a creep. And um, I, I think he's kind of typecast because uh, he was on that show Head of the Class. I I don't know if you remember that show. I don't. It was like an 80s uh, sitcom about, you know, kids in high school. And um, Mm -hmm. they, uh, so so he was on that show, but he he went on to have quite a career because he started, uh, I'm, I'm sure as he aged out of playing this kind of character, he started a production company and had a lot of success with Nickelodeon, like producing shows like iCarly and, you know, just, just a bunch of other stuff. Okay. But yeah, no, he's, he's really creepy. And his mom is really creepy too, because it's, and I, I think everybody knows someone like that where, you know, it's, it's the kid who's like really awkward, doesn't really have any social skills, but then the helicopter parent is just kind of like forcing everybody into like, look at how great my son is and kind of, you know, just awkwardly smashing people together and just making everything worse, even though she's trying to
1: help right and what's up with like the hannibal lecter thing she was wearing uh oh um, what the hell was that because her
0: face got burned at uh at the family dinner oh shit and then <laughs> and then her face was in a cast for some reason
1: i completely forgot about- yeah, oh my god that's, that's when they're, that's right i thought I, I like the rest of the movie i i was like why uh oh, why is she wearing that like what is that thing oh god okay. yeah that,
0: that was the i think the end of the scene where they come over for dinner and uh yeah you know, the the mom john cusack's mom who is in true grit and halloween six um she's uh you know here we have French bread <laughs> Franch fries and franch dressing. <laughs> you know, just trying to make her feel at home and it's just yeah. Yeah, the the oh. mom's such a great and weird character too with
1: oh my god, her cooking. <laughs> the cooking, <laughs> the boiled aard, bacon, the aardvark hat. <laughs> I know you didn't like bacon grease, so I boiled it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, me, meanwhile, so she was in all these. Well, I, I say all these great movies, but you know, the, the one great movie at Halloween six. And then, meanwhile, the, the only other thing I've seen Ricky's mom in was Mac and me.
1: Oh my god, <laughs> you know, I hate to say that I saw that in the theaters.
0: Oh, that hurts. I really
1: do. Uh, I haven't seen it since then, but I think from what I've heard. It's not a very good movie. You you would enjoy the uh, mystery science theater version okay. of that
0: because right. uh, the the new the new one that's on Netflix with Jonah Hill and Felicia Day um, that that was one of the movies that they did.
1: Oh, cool! I'll I'll check that out then. Um, that's it's but, the longest McDonald's commercial you'll ever see. <laughs> it really is. I've seen clips of it, just not the whole thing, and it's definitely like a ronald mcdonald uh you know advertisement through yeah. the whole thing i think there's some sort of like dance move numbers. yeah, dance number yeah. It.
0: and and it's so weird because that, that's what every trip to mcdonald's turns into is kids having a dance party <laughs> right uh, you know i just keep waiting for the factions to to throw down like the sharks and the jets right
1: uh one thing that i i laughed out loud uh when i saw this and remembering it because it's been about 10 maybe more years than that since i've seen this movie last oh wow the armpit aerosol spray so fucking funny okay so was that like do you remember because that was like my first deodorant was that nasty ass right guard spray Mm -hmm. that just like shot a cloud of like white aerosol everywhere yeah right in this movie, like that happens, like he's in the bathroom getting ready, and he starts spraying his armpits with the aerosol, but it's like a can happens of like white powder that's just so exaggerated. Uh, but I definitely remember times thinking that when I was growing up in the 80s, where or you know, early 90s when I was putting on deodorant, and that was the nasty spray, was this like cloud of white, nasty shit that made you like cough because it sucked out all the oxygen. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because you know, you're you're not supposed to inhale it, but you can't not spray it upwards. (laughs) Right. So it 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 always it would always yeah come off and just you'd wind up getting a snort full of it no matter what you did. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that, that that was some pretty terrible stuff. I'm glad that's
1: fallen out of fashion. Uh yes. Me too. And also, I really miss the power of the 80s, man. Okay? Because this movie ends in like... Okay, so you find out throughout the course of the movie that the French student can speak English and she's a Dodgers fan fan, and wants to go to Dodgers Stadium. Mm -hmm. This movie ends with John Cusack getting the French girl, but then they're just able to drive on to Dodgers Stadium like the baseball diamond. Right. And like sit on the hood of their car. Why not? You know? Sure. You know, just the power of the eighties, man. You're allowed to do stuff like that. Cause you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you, if you, uh, win a downhill ski race on one ski, you know, you're allowed Dodger stadium. are like, come on in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Camaro. <laughs>
0: oh, you're that kid from California. Sure. Come into Dodger stadium. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Yeah. They, uh, um, yeah. That, that part at the end, uh, you know, it, it's a very shaky kind of crane shot. So they, they must have had a, a very limited window to film that in. And and you can kind of see that they did a bunch of takes of that because the the field is pristine. But it, if you look for it and, you know, I, I only look for it because I know to look for it because I've seen the movie so many times. As they pull back, it, like right at the end, you see the paperboy writing in for uh, for one last attack and and you can see as they're backing out like a bunch of tire tracks from him that they had to do that multiple times
1: wow and maybe i wonder how long they had for that like maybe like an hour Uh, that'd be crazy probably you know like okay we got a game i'm I'm (laughs) sure it was
0: something like that yeah um but speaking of dodger stadium the uh, actress who played monique there um to do publicity for the film they uh she had the idea of doing like an autograph signing at Dodger Stadium because, you know, she's crazy about the Dodgers and, you know, good promotion. Right. So her agent reached out to them and they they didn't really weren't interested in doing that. And I don't know if it was because she wasn't that famous enough or if the movie didn't have a lot of advertising, you know, if they didn't think the movie was going to be a big thing or something like that. But they did ask her to sing the national anthem. Um, So they they just introduced okay. her like just as her name, but not like, you know. Uh, oh, it's something Franklin, I think. Um, you know, but so they just introduce her by her name, but not this actress from this movie. So it's just like here's this random person you've never heard of, and you know. So, I, I she said it was a, actually you know pretty awkward, but you know funny, but kind of awkward.
1: Right. <laughs> because it's like, well, oh well, yeah, I can imagine just being there, like, well, who is she? Why is she important? You know. 'cause uh there might be a huge crossover with like Dodgers fans and John Cusack fans. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: the movie I guess didn't do so great. It was kind of a kind of a box office flop. Um and it, yeah. it, it put the director in movie jail, but then video uh really saved it and it, it kind yeah. of took on that cult um cult status. But I, I don't think he ever directed a, another movie another major
1: movie again after this um he did one no he did one with john cusack after it um like one crazy summer or something like that Oh, okay um and well, then, like a year a year later but yeah as far as like yeah like a big big huge you know 80s movies or anything like that now he kind of fell off um john cusack hated this movie when it came out to the point where um he walked out of a screening of this 20 minutes in he just said I had enough uh which then made me go down a rabbit hole so I googled is John Cusack a dickhead right okay because it's like why, why are you so mad that you'd walk out of your own movie without seeing it entirely you know uh, so well he helped edit it
0: from my understanding oh really um oh,
1: okay then because
0: because him and the director <laughs> were buddies but you know, he must not have felt like it landed with audiences when they were okay. seeing it. And and he, my impression was that he felt like it was a dud and that that they made him look stupid. And, you know, okay. pro- probably as time went on, um, he kind of softened to it because people actually did like it. Um, he did. It, it just didn't catch on. But no, I'm sorry. So go ahead. So it is so John up, Cusack, and- a dickhead.
1: Yeah, and this is what I found. Oh, He's not, but I, oh, came, across the, I came across this story. Uh, and this is for a different movie, but there was a fight scene between Bruce Willis and John Cusack in the movie The Prince. The fight choreographers, choreographers had it all planned out nicely to look brutal, yet play it safe. Somehow, Cusack accidentally connects with, and punches Willis in the mouth breaking a tooth and busting a lip. And Bruce Willis was pissed off. He grabbed his lip as the blood dripped, screamed for a towel, then screamed at Cusack. Willis exploded. I'm too old to be getting beat up. Why don't you just follow the directions they give you instead of doing whatever the fuck you want? So is John Cusack a dickhead? I don't think so. Because he definitely knew who the dickhead was, and the dickhead has always been Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is notoriously kind of like a diva uh, on set of everything. I mean, go ahead and YouTube what uh, Kevin Smith has to say about Bruce Willis. Uh, it's not very flattering. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think John Cusack, just from this altercation, is a winner in my book. So, okay, punches Bruce Willis in the fucking mouth, <laughs> breaks a tooth, uh uh i I love that story when i saw it uh made me grin a little um but uh another interesting thing i found out about this movie uh this movie was shot very close to where pulp fiction was shot and the um pig burger was only a mile and a half away from where bruce willis parked his car to go into his apartment in Pulp Fiction. But we never see it in Pulp
0: Fiction. No. Okay. No. So it's not quite like the clock tower in Back to the Future being the bank in Gremlins. No, no. Okay. Not like that. Because that, that would have been cool. I, I would have checked. I, I would have watched uh, for that. Uh, so where
1: was this filmed at? Did you find um, that out? Or? I know what. I don't think I did. I think it was filmed somewhere in California, but I'm not sure exactly where. No. I should have done better research on that. Regard, on that detail. Um, well, I, I just asked
0: because it—it's it, not—it it doesn't quite have that Pasadena look, but it's uh, no, you know, it's
1: definitely like Southern California somewhere. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it does look like California, but it also kind of looks like a nameless place. It could be anywhere you know Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i don't know man i've got i there's so many things that i love about this movie um and like i said before it's really surprising that it kind of had to get to a cult favorite like why it wasn't um kind of like instantly recognized as being a you know a a great 80s movie is kind of beyond me i'm not sure why that happened
0: yeah, I um, I could see it. I I need to watch the trailers, but just, you know, off the top of my head, I would think maybe the um maybe the studio didn't quite know what to do with it when they got it, like how to market it. Like is it a romantic comedy or is it uh, you know, the surreal goofy movie? Cuz it it really does have that kind of kitchen sink approach and I uh, um, Steve Holland even said that you know, he, he thought he might never get another chance to make a movie. So he kind of put every idea he had into this one. Oh, wow. And and Night of the Creeps, Fred Decker's Night of the Creeps feels the same way. And it, it's kind of interesting how both of those movies kind of killed their careers.
1: That um, one really c- killed Fred Decker, like Night of the Creeps? Well, I guess
0: technically Monster Squad did um, because it didn't make the money that they put into it um but That's but it's such is,
1: a fucking shame. Yeah, it just just well, it's just not great. It,
0: it it is and and so is Night of the Creeps. Um you know and I I think one thing that really kind of jumps out at you like a movie like Better Off Dead or Night of the Creeps is that you know that is kind of um film studenty thing to do where it's like you know you just throw too much at it and then the movie kind of loses its identity in the process. But uh, I don't ever really feel like it happened with those movies, even though they do have, like I say, that sort of kitchen sink approach. Um, but you really get a sense of like the passion that that went into them. And, yeah. And I think that's part of the movie's kind of endearing charm.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, this, yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. I just remember the... Um... The burger scene. The Frankenstein burger scene. Oh my god. Which we haven't talked
0: about. No. So a... Yeah, that that's I, I don't know if that's kind of a follow-up of the weird animation in the beginning. That's not really connected to anything else.
1: Right. Yeah. Cause I don't know, it, man. Because
0: you have a cartoon animation and then you have a claymation scene. <laughs> right.
1: So john cusack goes all frankenstein in this movie and makes a, a burger come to life uh and there's like a a routine done to one, a van halen song um and uh it's just kind of out of left field you
0: know right yeah he just turns into dr frankenstein and then right. places his laboratory and <laughs> I I can so sympathize good. with that. I I remember um you know, had my shitty job in high school was working at Kmart and just you know, you'd kind of lose yourself cuz it's just like I I want to be anywhere other than here and you just sort of lose yourself in imagination land. So I, I I I can at least sympathize with that aspect of it.
1: That was your first job was working at Kmart?
0: Uh no, my my first job was uh working um for the church for, oh, okay. for my church, I, I had kind of a thing paid helping them out on a weekends, um, closing the the cemetery up, because because oh, now okay. they can just automate that, you know. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a, a whopping forty dollars a month from the church to do that. <laughs> so did did that for about a year instead of having a paper route. And, well, uh,
1: that's probably better than throwing. You know, throwing paper for two dollars. So, I, you know,
0: back to that for a minute. I, I love, I love how he's going through. You know how many papers he's delivered, and it's, it's like, it feels like six months. I, it, it probably isn't, but he's describing like this really long period of time, and it's just like, my God, what was inflation back then? Right. <laughs> Did he right. work for six weeks for two dollars? Like
1: God, yeah, like. Yeah. Uh it the too expensive are
0: these papers. <laughs> you know? I'd be stocking QSAC too, man. Like Yeah. Um man,
1: closing cemetery gates is your first job.
0: Yeah, and, and then I worked at a movie theater and then I worked at Kmart.
1: Okay. Oh man. I was a caddy. That was my first job. I had to go get a worker's permit. Uh from my middle school to be a caddy and i'll tell you what man i was short for a long time so when i first started caddying i was like as tall as the bags that i were on my back that <laughs> was so stupid <laughs> anyways uh yeah this movie uh it's so quirky it like it really goes all over the place probably describing this movie to people it might sound like it's very schizophrenic but I think as a whole, like I generally love the story that's, you know, being told and all its like little goofy moments and gags. Oh, the brother. Oh, my God. Uh, his brother doesn't have any lines, but he's so funny. Uh, like the scenarios that he's in. John Cusack has a little brother. Uh, how old is his brother? Like eight or nine? I, th- I think he, he's seven because uh,
0: there's a scene where he's like, why, why do you bother with all this kid stuff garbage? you're almost 8 for god's sakes and he's building a laser that that of course works somehow right he, yeah he he's supposed to be like the kid that nobody paid attention to getting into trouble i guess cuz he's um like the mailman's delivering his uh like how to pick up women <laughs> right. magazine and man i i bet the postal service hated that character cuz he's just like dropping mail and <laughs> right. throwing it away taking money out of birthday cards or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so many, yeah, just so many things that I, that are great about this movie. Um, so I don't know.
0: I, I enjoy the insults, like the back and forth between the different characters, like how, um, you know, Stalin keeps calling him Oscar Meyer. And I, I think his girlfriend at one co- point calls him a spastic nerf bag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, John Cusack's friend when they're on top of the mountain and he's trying to be able to go down this K-12 mountain. He goes, dying when you're really sick is really sick, really. Or dying when you're not really sick is really sick, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got some gems like about being in high school for seven years and <laughs> right. You know, snoring. Well, this is
1: also uh played by the same guy who uh played Booger in uh Revenge of the Nerds.
0: Yep, Curtis Armstrong. Yeah. You know, the thing with um with him and Beth, like back to kind of the core. Relationship of the movie there, where like like he's trying to win her back. Like if I could just do this one big thing, then she'd fall in love with me, you know. And and I I think I remember like your you know adolescent ideas of dating feeling like that. But a, a lot of eighties movies kind of seem to be about like tricking someone into loving you, you know, like right. like tricking them into thinking you're someone you're not, and it, you know, be because all great relationships are built on lies. Yeah, you know and that's just, right. That's just a fact of life right but um yeah the uh the monique character kind of wins him over you know it is the uh, it's not that you're undeserving or that she's undeserving it's just kind of like the the when you're not looking for love that's where you find it i guess
1: right yeah like the whole time it's like uh he uh Monique is like teaching him how to fix his car and like there's like a you know like a interest and back and forth between the two characters meanwhile he's still hung up on the fact that like he wants to get back with Beth yeah and it like it's just so weird that it's like we like this girl seems interested in you and she seems like a better person than your ex-girl you right you know uh, why not focus on that It just seems like that's also a trope in eighties movies is like the more interesting girl is not interest or is being pursued by the main actor, whoever it may be. Yeah. You know uh, until like the very end when it's like, as an audience, it kind of is like, well, this one seems better. You know, the one that you're not paying attention to, she seems so much better than the one that you're trying to go after. Yeah. I,
0: I feel like that's another kind of like, youth misconception of uh of of how relationships work and and how people always want the thing that they can't have even though the thing even though the thing that's in front of them is perfectly fine and and oftentimes better for you
1: oh for sure i mean that pans out in life so much with certain people Mm -hmm. uh and unfortunately it usually comes from like very toxic people you know, like wanting something that they can't have, uh, just seems like a really awful way to desire something, you know, uh, because like what happened, the thing is that most people in that situation that finally get what they can't have don't, they find out that they don't really want it in the future or didn't, I mean, they didn't really want it at all to begin with. So then, you know, the desire to keep that once they found it is pretty low, you know, it's it's one of those tropes that always bothers me in teen movies you know um in the 80s but you know it works for storytelling that's why they keep doing it
0: right yeah you've you've seen it a million times and uh you know i i definitely remember things feeling like you know this way uh like when i was young and in high school and you know chasing this girl or that girl and uh, you know, but I, it's like, I, I don't know, are kids like that? Or did I just watch too many movies and and take all my right. ideas from the wrong place?
1: Right. I don't know, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, my final thoughts on this movie, are on this movie, I mean, I love this movie. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who, like, is familiar with any 80s movies, especially like kind of like the 80s romantic comedy. Uh this one is like a little left of center because of like the suicidal tendencies. <laughs> in right. In this
0: movie. Right, but you know there there have been romantic comedies about suicide um fa- fa- probably most famously uh Billy Wilder's The Apartment.
1: Oh, I don't even
0: um I don't even know that one. Uh, that's that's a little more of a golden age cinema. You know, th- this is I I'd like to say this is the 80s version of that, but it kind of isn't (laughs) okay um Harold and Maud is another romantic comedy that deals with uh uh, you know the the idea of love and death so uh you know it's not that it hasn't been done it's just kind of we certainly haven't seen movies like this now and uh they, they they just don't make modern comedies
1: like this anymore um no no, I feel like people would be afraid to make something like this, like making light of like serious situations. You know, there seems to be like a, a certain type of culture where it's very, that we're in now where it's very difficult to talk about um, serious subject matter. And people, I want to say like companies, movie companies tend to want to stay away from that stuff. Or I mean, not even necessarily movie companies, but entertaining and entertainment want to stay away from like this kind of serious subject matter even though it comes from like a lighthearted uh jokey way uh yeah i would i would imagine that people would be afraid to make something like this today um not that this is a dark and morbid movie but you know just on paper you'd be like suicide like how many times is going right, to commit right. suicide stalker you know? boyfriend right hmm.
0: Because his bedroom really does look like um uh, you know, the uh the layer of the criminal in seven, you know, with just the photos oh everywhere.
1: Yeah. Um or like
0: uh But that's something but like, that's the joke. Oh, you know? Yeah. I mean that that's that's the joke. So it's it's definitely a, a good movie. It's it's super layered um in that way in that context is key way. Uh, some things are a little dated, but yeah, man, I, I love comedies from this period. I just, I, I don't think they build them like this anymore. Uh, there there aren't a lot of modern comedies that I really key into in the same way that I do with um, movies like Caddyshack or Better Off Dead. And I, I don't think it's a generational thing. I, I think it's just, it's got something to do with casting and the directing and the writing. Right. Um, yeah.
1: I would say that a, a movie that is clever and witty like like these movies from the 80s has been um the nice guys uh, nice guys was great yeah like very clever had a whole lot of wit in it and um like it's hard to find that stuff like quentin tarantino can do it a lot but with shane blacks uh the nice guys like it is so consistent with like how uh funny the situations are in and the dialogue between each char- character is very funny
0: was, was that it, but a, it's subtle was that a black and decker movie uh, i i know shane black directed it but did, did fred decker have anything with that
1: um, i'm not sure if fred decker had anything are you talking about nice guys yeah uh, i'm not sure if he did or not um were they writing like
0: partners yeah yeah they're they're buddies in in reality because um you know monster squad they were friends on that That was a, a black and decker kind of team up um, okay the predator you know
1: the new one yeah fred decker had a had a part in that
0: oh yeah yeah he and shane black uh co-wrote it
1: no shit that's awesome I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that Shane Black had he directed the Predator, but I didn't know it was co-written by. Um, Shane Black and Fred Decker, that's pretty amazing. Yep. Yeah. That poor
0: guy just can't seem to catch a break because it's like in anything major he gets involved when after RoboCop 3 just doesn't seem to. Because, <laughs> like, you <laughs> know, the the Predator, I you know, it, it's it's fine. And, you know, it's not a, a terrible movie. Um, you know, but it was like one of the most reviled movies of 2018 for whatever reason. So, you know,
1: after that, he's probably back in movie jail. Oh, it's so unfortunate. I really like the predator. I just watched it again the other night. You know, I've seen it like four times now. It's good. You know, uh, it's enjoyable. It's fun. I don't understand why there was so much hate to it. But I mean, we've talked about this so many times, which is, you know, fans don't know what they want it goes back and forth you know yeah Uh,
0: and and if you really look at the trajectory of of the predator movies like the the first one was a masterpiece the second one came out and then all the reviewers trashed it for uh you know just kind of being like a soulless copy of the first movie and then predators came out and then everybody trashed it for being um too close to the original movie (laughs) and then the predator came out and everybody trashed it because it wasn't like the other one so it's like you you don't know what you want you know
1: right it's awful yeah like can't you just enjoy things for what they are
0: yeah unless it's like
1: astronomically bad then you can hate it yeah it's bad like rise of skywalker that deserves hate (laughs) predator doesn't
0: there there were some things that i kind of really question um you know their the wisdom of their inclusion like the uh The whole thing, like their portrayal of autism and and Asperger's syndrome and things like that. I just kind of feel like that was kind of, uh, you know, in in bad taste. And, um, you know, like someone could easily have weaponized that against the film. But, you know, they didn't. They just didn't focus on that. Uh, The the idea of like DNA kind of being hot swappable or, you know, whatever they were doing was kind of stupid but uh i i thought it was cool it is like a sci-fi movie uh, you know if 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 you just want another you know slasher movie you know we had three of those and and they're all pretty good honestly so i i th- i think you and i were probably a little more forgiving of the predator being so different um because we both read a lot of the dark horse comics
1: oh yeah you know um i i mean i read alien more but i read a lot of the predator stuff as well um but still I, I don't know like i feel like we get to a certain point where people automatically want to hate something because it's not what they wanted it to be instead of like critiquing it on its merits uh instead of well i'm a fan and i'm offended that this was made and therefore i'm going to hate it and hate the company for it when it's like, it blows my mind that people love Rise of Skywalker because that's just a poorly made movie. Whereas like the Predator is not a poorly made movie. You know, you might not like some of the things like the, like what you said, Brian, the genetic stuff, but it's still a well-crafted movie. Rise of Skywalker is all over the fucking place. You know, it's a piece of shit. Hey, we're so, we're getting the
0: Snyder cut of Justice League. So, you know, maybe uh, Disney, uh, maybe maybe Disney fuck. Plus can uh,
1: release the black cut of the Predator. <laughs> that would be great. But I don't understand, like, the want for the Snyder cut, right? I don't get it. It's like saying, hey, Michael Bay, can I get the 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 Michael Bay cut of Age of Extinction? please. Cause I think like that turd might not smell as bad. If I saw your cut, you know, like it doesn't make any sense to me, but you know, to each their own, they want the Snyder cut. Uh, you know, ha- having, right having
0: seen justice league, there was a lot of stuff that was cut out of it. I, I thought it was at least more coherent the theatrical cut than the theatrical cut was of Batman versus Superman. And okay. and I I think people really I don't know the you know the the DC fans are kind of in a hard position right now because pretty much all of those movies except Wonder Woman kind of stink um you know so they're they're in a, a pretty tough spot right now where they just you know they desperately need a win you know they want something to be really good yeah um, because they love these characters because they're iconic and they're wonderful characters and it's uh, you know just a, a shame to see them kind of badly mismanaged you know justice league well uh, batman vs. superman um you know they did cut a lot out of that and then the director's cut with which made it a 3 hour movie um you know restored a lot of that stuff and ju- you know and and then a lot of the people enjoyed it, at least seeing that makes sense so okay with justice league it was such a, a poor man's um avengers where, it, like, you just can't get excited about seeing these characters meet on, you know, where it's like, yeah, it's Batman and Flash, but it's like, we've never met this Flash before. And, you know, you didn't have a chance to go on an adventure and get to know his personality and anything like that. So it's just kind of a guy in a costume. And, and it really falls flat because it's, a you know, the cart before the horse situation. But supposedly um, they, they have, like, four hours of material for that movie. Um, really? I supposedly, uh, it's still kind of up in the air, but HBO Max isn't sure, at least from what I read, whether they're going to put it out as a movie or if they're going to break it up into like you know one hour episodes of like holy a holy shit, like a miniseries. Okay, um, I, I do find it hard to believe that they're spending 30 million dollars <laughs> on finishing
1: this. Are they really?
0: Oh, yeah, man, wow.
1: Um, I, you know, I guess, they're like not I even guess, just re-editing it. They're like making the scenes to make it all come together, they, yeah, like they're, they're
0: bringing uh, they're bringing the actors back to finish what they didn't finish. Um holy shit, but I mean, hey, you know, they're HBO. they got Game of Thrones money. so that's
1: not <laughs> <laughs> knock yourself I mean, out yeah man. they got, they got games so Game of Thrones money, but they also got Game of Thrones season eight writing you know Mm. i don't know i I, didn't know all those details i just assumed that they were going to be re-editing something putting it like okay i would imagine that it would have gone the road of alien 3 where they had like pretty shitty um like rough cuts that they were able to put back into the movie but like you know the the director's cut of alien 3 is is not really director's cut because it's not all like remastered. There's some pretty poor and low quality audio and, and film in there to make it uh, uh, the vision that Fincher had. Yeah. You know, so that's what I assume that the re-edit would have been. But apparently it's, it's much more than that. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. They're, so. they're finishing the effect shots that were never finished, which is, you know, as we all know, is a very costly thing. And that's why that none a lot of the stuff that was cut out of the Predator um, will never see the light of day because they just won't spend the money on it. And now Disney owns it, and you know who knows what what's going to happen. So, yeah,
1: you know I saw that post uh, on um, on social media that Marvel is going to be doing like the Alien and Predator cra- or uh, comics. Um, people are upset. Uh, that that's happening. Um, but for a different reason than I thought that it would be, is that people are more worried that dark horse as a comic book company is going to go under, you know, without having these big titles.
0: Yeah. So I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I, I think if you're Disney, it makes sense to, uh, you know, take your properties instead of licensing them to give them to your in-house world-class comic book company. You know, right. that, that makes sense. And, and by most accounts, they've actually done a pretty good job with the Star Wars comics that also expired from Dark Horse and Marvel started producing. But, yeah, no, I, I thought of that, too. I You know, I wonder what the hell Dark Horse is going to do. If they're going to resurrect the mask or
1: what? I, I would imagine that two things would happen. Like maybe they merge with like IDW or something or uh, maybe become an imprint of. Well, here's what I think would be a smart thing for Marvel is just to buy Dark Horse and then have still the name recognition of having an imprint under Marvel that's still Dark Horse. Just throwing that out there, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's probably like Highlander. There can be only one. <laughs> right. Um, but if, if it was like Dark Horse and Marvel Company, you know, uh, redid their logos lately, as a marketing gimmick that would probably go further than you know the hate that's going to ensue from just having marvel stamp on an alien book you know so i don't know pretty scary though for for uh for dark horse so i hope it i hope it works out for them but uh any final thoughts on this movie
0: i love it check it out so track, do i track it down if you can um yeah i know the, uh, the blu-ray is it's uh it is. I think it's like twelve dollars or something like that on yep. Amazon. So go go get you that and and enjoy and it.
1: If you do want to see a poor quality of it, like a poor version of it, you can kind of search YouTube and end up finding it. But it is not a very good quality. So just throwing that out there. So if you're interested in seeing it, um Yeah, that's so weird. It's not on streaming for rent. Anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I checked everything and I couldn't find it, even though I swear I saw it on one of the streaming services and I couldn't find it, it again. It's a Paramount film. What, uh, what, what platform are they behind? Any idea? Paramount. They might have their own. Cause I know there's the Paramount network, which is an app that you can get, but I thought it was just a, way to watch their shows if you had cable already. Yeah, you and know? I,
0: you know, this movie's great, but I can't believe it'd be like a Paramount Network exclusive. <laughs> like,
1: right. like like that's
0: a big draw, you know. <laughs> yeah. Better off dead
1: exclusively on the Paramount Network. Um, but it was really hard to find. Um so yeah, I mean, definitely check it out, but uh you're going to have to put a little elbow grease into it, you know. It's worth it though. It is worth it. Um uh, well, thanks again everyone for tuning into this episode uh really appreciate it um and thanks for listening
0: yeah this was a lot of fun uh and i always enjoyed doing these and it was great to talk about a movie that uh it really it really holds a special place in, in my heart in my collection so until next time all
1: right bye everyone